We read about that this morning in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, as we continue making our way through Mark's Gospel. This morning we're taking the section of verses 12 through 25. 12 through 25. Mark chapter 14. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you. A large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. They prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing upon its proclamation this morning. Father God, we thank you for this reminder of uh, the Lord's Supper, Lord, and how uh, Christ gathered with his disciples on our behalf to to share his broken body. Lord, what a sacrifice he gave that we might be called sons and daughters of the Most High God, Lord. Let us not forget the price that was paid for that privilege and that name that we carry, Lord, and let us uh, go forth in joy and gladness and be bold witnesses to all that you've done. Bless Pastor Bob, Lord, as he brings your word to us. May it uh, strike close to our hearts, Lord, and may your spirit inform us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So there are three distinct things going on within this Uh, section that we read. First of all, there is the Passover. Secondly, there is the betrayer. 
And thirdly, there is the supper that is instituted. So first of all, the Passover meal. That's what we find in verses 12 through 16. That is actually set aside for us as a paragraph. The timing of it, we are told right at the very beginning in verse 12, that this is the first day, not of the week, but this is the first day of unleavened bread. It is also defined for us as the day that they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Now we know that day. It is the 14th of Nisan. On the 10th day, they were to select the Passover lamb. On the 14th day is the day in which the lamb is to be killed. What we don't know is the day of the week because we don't know the precise year in which Jesus was crucified. We don't know that date uh, as far as the year. If we did, we could trace back and give you the exact date of the week that this occurred on. But because we do not know, there is some broadening, we could say, of what day this may have been. But the Gospels define it as the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually an eight-day feast. It begins with the Passover. And then there follows another week after that. And both of which are are Sabbaths, so there's all sorts of things that are set apart here as well. The other thing we have to note in talking about the timing of it is the fact that the Jews, Jewish time of Mark chapter 14, is not measured, as you know, from 12 midnight to 12 midnight. It is measured from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. So when they say this is the day on which the Passover lamb is killed, they mean that which is slaughtered for the temple use which is on the 14th day of Nisan. But that begins at 6 p.m. Jesus and the disciples are gathered in the upper room after that 6 p.m. That 6 p.m. is going to encompass till the next day. And in that day, we're going to have the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to have all of those trials. We're going to have Jesus before Pilate. We are going to have Jesus condemned. We are going to have Jesus taken to the cross. We are going to have Jesus crucified. We are going to have Jesus dead upon that cross. We're going to have Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take that body down, wrap it in linen, and put it into the sepulcher. That's all going to happen from the time that Jesus sets down with his disciples to have this Passover. So there is a lot going on prophetically, but also just in terms of the literal events that are going to be taking place. But it begins with this Passover meal. Jesus designates a place. He tells his disciples by giving them instructions. The instructions to some way sound very general to us, don't they? Well, you go into the city, meaning you go into Jerusalem, 
meaning they're not in Jerusalem at the time the instruction is given. You go into Jerusalem, you find a guy carrying some water. You follow the guy to the place that he goes, and then you ask if the master has a place that he may make use of. The answer is going to be in the affirmative, so there you make ready the Passover. Now, it sounds general, but it isn't all that general, is it? Because we read the disciples did and followed it. It's not like it took them hours and hours and hours. Why? What is the unusual part of what Jesus commanded them to do? You see it? You'll find a man carrying water. That was not done. Men didn't carry water. That was something that women did. So it would be something very odd, very unusual to see a man with a jar of water. That's the needle in the haystack. It just didn't happen in Jewish society But it happens here. So although it sounds general, it is very specific. Follow that man. Follow the man with the water. That is the place to whom you are going. Now, it's rather interesting that most commentators believe that this house, the owner of this house, the people involved with this house, are probably in some way have been associated with Jesus, which means you kind of wonder about this man carrying the water, don't you? Kind of wonder if, if this man is, as most commentators say, a follower of Jesus. Has he come to the realization that he, too, is to be a servant? That just as Jesus in this upper room is going to wash disciples' feet and do that which was not part of the culture, has this man, has this man figured this out? That somehow the following of Jesus leads you to break the cultural barriers so the disciples can spot them easily. He's somebody who stands out in the crowd because he's living a different type of life, exemplified by his carrying of the water. Those are Jesus' instructions. The disciples, we are told, obeyed. Verse 16, And the disciples set out, went to the city, found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. What does that mean, that they prepared the Passover? Well, it meant that they had a lot of food to get ready that day. The Passover meal included a lamb. They had to go and purchase a lamb. After purchasing the lamb, these lambs, which are the eaten lambs, are taken then to the temple where they are slaughtered because they have to pass all of the qualifications. After they are slaughtered, you can take that meat, you take it, and then it needs to be prepared according to the instructions of Exodus chapter 12. 
But besides the lamb, there is unleavened bread to prepare. There is as well bitter herbs. And there is wine. All of which is part of this meal. So when Jesus sends these men into the town, into the city of Jerusalem, to find this upper room, to get it ready, this probably took them, whoever those disciples were, the better part of the rest of the day. This is the meal. This is where we were a few weeks ago in our series on the creatures of the Bible, looking at that passage of Exodus chapter 12, a commandment that God had given that was to continue. That is now being continued by Jesus and is by disciples. The cross has not yet occurred. We still keep the Old Testament ceremonial laws. This Passover, this reminder of God's deliverance out of Egypt, the reminder that the angel of death passed over the homes where the blood of the lamb was upon the doorpost. All of which we looked at a few weeks ago points us to Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what they are doing in that upper room. This is what is happening. Okay, So when we come to verse 17 and we read, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Right? So now they've come, they've come to the upper room. Jesus and the rest of the twelve appear for this meal. And they're having the meal, verse 18. And as they were reclining at table and eating. So they're in the midst of this high point religious festival. They're remembering that which God had done probably singing psalms of deliverance. Perhaps the song of Moses is being sung. They're repeating those words from Exodus, the reminder of the story, while they are there now partaking of the food. Jesus announces his betrayer. Jesus reveals that one of these twelve is a betrayer. The first thing to note about that is that Jesus knew nothing that happens during this week, during his lifetime, is ever a surprise to Jesus. Jesus is never caught off guard. Jesus is never unaware of circumstances and situations. He is never unaware of previous conversations. He is never unaware of people's motives. He is never under, unaware of people's hearts. He always knows he is God incarnate. He knew when he picked Judas that Judas would betray him. He knew that as we were last week with the anointing of Mary, that when Jesus commended her, he knew how Judas was going to respond. He knew the heart of Judas. And he knew that that incident would prompt Judas to go to those chief priests to arrange for the betrayal. That has already occurred. Judas has met with these men. And now that he comes to the table, this table of fellowship, Jesus knew 
What a blessed thing the knowledge of Jesus is. There is no sin that I have ever committed that Jesus is not aware of, was not aware of, as he hung on that cross. He was fully aware of every sin of mine for which he was hung upon that cross. Every sin that you have committed, Jesus was aware of as he hung upon that cross. There is nothing that you have done that surprises him. There is no sin that you have committed that, that in your mind you might be thinking, oh, I don't know, boy, that, that was a big... Maybe Jesus didn't die for that sin. Jesus knew his betrayer. Jesus knew our sin. As he hung upon that cross, as he suffers hell for my sin, for yours. The second thing to note is how Jesus discloses this. He not only tells them, one of you who is eating with me, but he also says, when they question, is it I? Notice how he answers that in verse 20. It is one of the twelve. It is one of you dipping your hand in the dish with me. It is one of you. It's not one of those who shouted along the road back on that Palm Sunday. It's not one of those momentary believers. It's not one of those excited, emotional believers who at one time was singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and is going to be found in the courtyard of Pilate crying out, crucify him. He's not talking about them. That's not the betrayer he is speaking of. It's not one that I have healed. It's not somebody from, from the beginning of my ministry until now that I have healed, that I have cured of a disease, that I have driven out a demon from, who in some way or another has now fallen away and has decided to become my betrayer. No, it's not outside of this room, guys. No, it's not one of the women who has accompanied us throughout this entire journey. It's not one of these women who have supported, put their own money into this. No, it's not one of them. It's not even one of the enemy, guys. It's not even one of those Pharisees or Sadducees or chief priests. They're not going to betray me. It's one of you. It's one of you who has dipped their hand into the dish with me. Now that isn't, that isn't some clue that identifies one of the twelve. That's just Jesus saying, it's one of you guys, because they've all done this. They've all dipped their hand. This has happened to every one of them. 
those who are there in a covenant meal. Those who are there signifying fellowship. See, the, the Passover was, was a family unit deal. You go back to Exodus chapter 12, and, and, the, and that's the understanding. You, you, you eat this with, with, with family. You eat this with your friends. You eat this with those with whom you're united in heart, mind, and spirit. What Jesus is saying is one of you who came to the table, one of you who's reclining around, one of you who has shared bread, one of you is my betrayer. But there's another aspect of all of this. It's part of what we miss being Westerners. We, we miss the whole Eastern understanding of hospitality. For you see, this is Jesus' meal. Jesus is the host. Jesus is the one who has invited them to come. Jesus is the one who has given instructions on the arrangements. This is Jesus' meal. In the East, you tolerate anything to not offend the host. If you've been invited to a meal, you tolerate anything. To put it in our modern terms, you get invited to somebody's home here at Little Farms, okay, and they put out for you some appetizers, and there's some escargot, there's some uh, mussels, there's some oysters, there's some calamari, and you go, yeah, I'm not touching that. It'd be highly offensive to the get, to the host. That, that, that's as much as if you walked up to them and backslapped them across the face. Now, folks, I'll let you in on a hint. If that's what you're serving, just don't invite me, okay? If the, if the entrees, you know, well, then we can talk. But you see, we, in, in, here in the West, we go, oh, no, 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 I, I, you know, don't care for that. And, and generally speaking, we as hosts don't take offense at that. We say, you know, try it. Okay, if you don't, that's fine. In the East, <laughs> you do that, okay? It's like you've broken friendship. Jesus is the host. And Judas has said, I'm here, Lord. I'm one of yours. I recognize you. I'm following you. I don't want to offend you. Meantime, he has made a contract with the chief priest to betray him. It is one of you. And then Jesus pronounces a judgment. Harsh words. For the Son of Man, verse 21, goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. What kind of woe? What kind of woe? Going to get measles? You're going to get a disease? 
you betray Jesus, what happens? Is, is it, you know, some sickness, some illness, loss of a few cows? What happens? The woe is this. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judgment. Condemnation. To betray Christ. an eternal judgment. In other places, he's referred to as the son of perdition. The son of condemnation. The son of judgment. Son of hell. Who betrays Christ. And we'd all go, yeah, boy, Judas, he sure deserves that. Boy, I can't think of a more horrible thing than what Judas does here. That, that is, that's horrible. But what are we going to do after leaving a meal with Jesus? Will we too betray him? Will we betray him in our words? In that which we say, and that which we communicate? Will we betray him by our looks, by our attitude? Will we betray him with our thoughts? Will we betray him with our actions? We're going to be sitting at table, the Lord's table. We're going to be feasting on that which the Lord has provided. He is the host here. Throughout this week, as I challenged you last Sunday evening to be reflecting on coming to this meal, on thinking about this meal, on searching your heart and your soul, praying. You don't want to be a betrayer at this meal. You don't want to be the betrayer who after the meal leaves, goes, and arranges for your sin of betraying Christ. And yet, and yet in Christ, what a glorious promise and hope we have, right? That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. What a glorious promise to us. But then the whole thing changes. As quickly as Jesus has taken the Passover, this meal of friendship, this meal of fellowship, this meal of remembrance of God's deliverance, and has taken us down into the valley of the betrayer, so now he brings them to the table, to the Lord's Supper. Now comes about the transformation, the change. In some ways, as Jesus institutes this supper, there is such simplicity, isn't there? It really is pretty simple. Takes bread, says, this is my body. Takes a cup, says, this is my blood. 
It's pretty simple. The meal is to be a simple thing. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is not to be complex. It's not to have rules and rules and rules and rules about how it's done. Oh, we've got to do this parade. We've got to wave this. We've got to wave some incense over it. We've got to put it in a special box. We've got to take it out. We've got to say all sorts of Latin prayers over it. We've got to do all sorts of complex things. It's simple. Here's a piece of bread. It's my body. Eat it. Here's a cup. It's my blood. Drink it. It's simple. As far as the procedure, as far as the practice, it is a simple thing. I can well imagine that there could be, if there were, people of other faiths, other denominations who would be present with us this morning watch how we distribute the elements watch the simplicity with which we do this and walk out and say oh i miss all the bells and whistles i i miss all all the mystery and everything that's added well yeah that's it just it it's added because this is pretty simple It's not like Jesus lights a candle and he waves the candle all over and he lights some incense and he waves the incense. He puts on some special robes now for this. And he says, Peter, go before this and bring forward a cross and then let's parade these elements in. No, it's pretty simple. But while we talk about the simplicity of the practice, it is very complex isn't it because underneath the simplicity is an amazing mystery and the amazing mystery is these two things that which this bread and that which this cup signify the sign It's that which takes our breath away. These are the signs that point us to the death of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. It's not just a sign that points us to a death. It points us to the death of Jesus Christ. And I know I can can have my theological ducks in a row. Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully divine. But to comprehend how that fully divine, fully human can die. It can die for me. The sign of that love, the sign of that commitment, the 
sign of his suffering. How does Jesus Christ fully bear in those hours on the cross the eternal hell that I and you deserved? See, it's a simple thing. We take a piece of bread, we take a cup. But this sign, that which it represents, moves us to an awe of realizing we indeed are at a table that we as yet do not fully understand or comprehend. But it's complex not only in the sense that it is that sign, but it is also, we are told, a seal. A seal of my cleansing, a seal of my washing, a seal of my atonement, a seal of mercy, a seal of forgiveness. It is an absolute guarantee. It is a promise of God. That in that death of Jesus Christ, Bob Van Manen is forgiven. That God in his love sent forth his son. Not just to die for my sin, but to seal, to guarantee my forgiveness. The complexity. It's a little bit more to see. It's not about the complexity of what does it represent in Jesus' body. It's simple, right? Here's a bread represents my body. Here's a cup that represents my blood. It's not so much mystery there, but it's the mystery of grace, the mystery of love mystery of mercy and forgiveness and pardon. My sin in Christ death is washed away and is no more. The Supper instituted, there is a simplicity, there is a complexity, but there is also the reality. The reality of atonement Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9, 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Atonement is attained through the shedding of blood, through the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death and through his death alone, there is atonement. That is the reality of God's word. That is a non-negotiable. That is a non-debatable. This is a given. There is no atonement apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Not through my works, not through my actions, not through my meditations, not through following this or following that. Only atonement through the blood of Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? Verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That's atonement. Blood given. We'll look at that more this evening when we deal with the day of atonement from Leviticus chapter 16 and the two goats of the Lord's and Aziel. In fact, the whole book of Leviticus points us to this aspect of the shedding of blood. Yes, it is through the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God that is poured out for many. But notice what Jesus also says. It is the blood of the covenant. The blood of a relationship. A covenant of Blood in Christ. The Bible reveals to us that there are two covenant heads. Either we are under the covenant that is in Adam, which brings about death and judgment, which brings about condemnation, which is what we are when we are conceived and born in sin. It's what we are, not only because of our original sin, but because of all those sins that we commit. If we are in Adam, if we're in him, then we're under God's judgment. Then we're Judas the betrayer. Then it would have been better for us not to have been born at all. Because of the hell that we shall endure for all of eternity. But if we are in Christ, if we are in a covenant relationship, if we by faith have grasped hold of Christ, as the only atonement for our sin, then this is the blood of the covenant. A blood that washes, a blood that cleanses, a blood that changes, a blood that transforms us. A blood that makes us new creatures in Christ. But look at what else Jesus answer, answers. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What a beautiful promise of glory. Jesus says someday we're going to do this again, guys. We're going to do this again. But we're going to do it in a new kingdom. We're going to do it in a new way. We're going to do it in glory. Some would perhaps argue, well, okay, we have to wait for the second coming for that to occur. Once Jesus comes again and we go into glory, there we're going to do... Hmm, really? You, you, you think that? Or is that new kingdom now? I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm present here this morning, Jesus is saying to you and I. Well, you don't see me physically, but I'm present here with you spiritually. 
I am with you. And as you take this bread, as you take this cup, you and I, you and I are enjoying the fullness of the meaning of this meal. See, the disciples can't there in that upper room yet, can they? There has been no cross. There has been no shedding of blood. There has been no resurrection. But there is now. Now there is the kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't forget, it's, it's not you and I. It's not just you and the person sitting next to you. This morning as we come to this table, it's you and Christ. It's you and Christ. He's present. Spiritually here. Celebrating his relationship in covenant with you through his blood. So I invite you. I invite you to come to the table. The Lord's table. If you are in that covenant relationship with Christ by faith, if you've not only been baptized, but you've confessed your faith, you've professed it, you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Even if you're from another congregation this morning, you're invited to come with us to this table. As long as you're a member who in that congregation are able to take, you're welcome to come here and enjoy the blessing of Christ's spiritual presence in the kingdom with you and I for whom he died. And God's people say, Father, we do thank you for your word, for its reminder to us of your love and of your mercy, of your grace, of this table that you have given. It is simple. Father, we would pray that even as we participate this morning, that you would increase our faith. Increase our understanding, increase our knowledge, increase our love, increase our commitment, increase our desire to live as your people. For Peter went out from that meal and denied you three times. But you renewed him, you restored him even as you take every one of us who is in that covenant relationship with you, and no matter how many times we fail and fall short, for Lord we do, you bring us back. Your Spirit draws us back again. Thank you for giving us a Redeemer, your only Son. In His name we pray and God's people say, Amen.